0: Hello friends and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host Liz Moody and I am the author of the Healthier Together cookbook and I'm also the author of Glow Pops which I need to mention more often. It's like my little first cookbook that I'm not as excited about but I should be more proud of and I'm working on that. Um, And I'm a longtime journalist living in Brooklyn where I'm holed up in my teeny tiny little apartment with my cat and my husband. We've been In self-quarantine here for about eight weeks at this point. Um, So like many of you out there, we're just kind of hanging in there, learning new things about each other all the time, playing lots of games, lots of Would You Rather, Would You Rathers become a fun game. We also have a game that we do when we go out on walks where we try to guess what each other's facial expression is under our masks using just our eyes, which is a fun, very time-specific game. I just keep picturing what it's going to be like in like five years and I'm like, oh, remember when, or 20 years, when you can like tell the kids, remember when we used to play that game where we guessed what our facial expression was under our masks? We're using it as definitely a time to connect to each other, to connect to people near and far, and to stay sane and keep our routines as much as possible, which I definitely will talk about in today's episode. So today's episode is going to be a q and I've mentioned this before, but I've gone from doing an every other week schedule to an every week schedule during this period where so many of us are trapped indoors and maybe need a little bit more joy and entertainment in our days. So a lot of you requested I switch to weekly, and I've been trying to do that. So every other week, we're keeping our totally normal type of episode. We're doing the lengthier interviews with some of the most amazing people in wellness. I have an Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition coming up next week, which I know you guys are going to love. There is so much gut health information packed into this episode. So that's next week, normal episode. And then the in-between weeks, I'm doing just sort of more fun, you know, just less structured content. So we had a couple's Q&A with Zach two weeks ago. If you guys want to hear about how our relationship is doing during this time of self-quarantine, go listen to that. And then this is just a Q&A with me. So I asked you all on my Instagram to share some fun questions that I could answer during this episode. And you mega delivered. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to them all. You asked so many good questions. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. Okay. So the first question is, what is my morning and evening routine? Which makes sense because I've been sharing the morning and evening routines of a lot of the most inspiring women in wellness. I have two morning and evening routine episodes if you want to go and check those out. But my morning routine, it's interesting. Okay. So the first thing that I do that's like a little bit weird is I never wake up with an alarm. Like if I have a very important meeting or something I absolutely can't, a flight, something I cannot miss, I'll set an alarm. But other than that, I would say 98% of days in my life, I don't wake up with an alarm. And that included when I was working a full-time job. And There's two reasons for that. So one is that you have these sleep cycles that you go through every night. And if you complete a sleep cycle, you're gonna wake up feeling so much more energized and so much less groggy than if you wake up even 10 minutes before that sleep cycle is complete. And I don't drink any caffeine. I don't drink any coffee uh, because of my anxiety. I always recommend anybody who has anxiety, cut caffeine out and just see what a difference that makes in their life experiment with it, play with it. There's more about that in the Ask the Doctor anxiety episode of the podcast if you're interested. But I don't drink caffeine in the morning, so I really need to rely on other things to wake me up. So if I start at that sort of deficit, a little bit groggy place, it's a lot harder for me to wake up in the morning. So I don't wake up with an alarm. When I had a full-time job, I would sort of adjust my morning routine based on exactly when I woke up. But Thing too is that you can pretty much train yourself to wake up around the same time every day. You get into a circadian rhythm if you sort of follow your body's natural sleep cycles and then you will tend to fall asleep and wake up around the same time every day even without setting an alarm. So for me, that's a little bit late. I've always been a little bit of a night owl. So I go to bed around midnight, I would say 12.30 and then I wake up at 8.30 or nine. And then when I had to be at work, I had have to be at work by 945. And my office is 15 minutes away, which or it was 15 minutes away when I worked there, which is something huge. They did this really interesting study about the best ways that you can spend money for your happiness. And one of the ways that was absolute peak, like top of the charts, was cutting down your commute time and turning your commute into a walking or biking commute. So I we did that. We actually moved in Brooklyn to a different part of Brooklyn so that Zach worked in the same neighborhood as I worked. His office was in the same neighborhood as mine and we turned our commutes into essentially a 15 minute walk down a really beautiful street and we were able to do that. It was more expensive, but we cut out spending in different parts of our life because we knew that this would have such a drastic impact on our happiness. So I would adjust my morning routine and make it into work on time maybe a little bit late sometimes. But now, of course, that I work from home, I am able to do all of the other steps in my morning routine, regardless of the exact time that I would wake up. So I wake up when I wake up, uh, usually around 830 or nine. And then I go to the bathroom. And the very first thing that I do I, like, I'm like i like, I go to the bathroom and you're like, the very first thing I do is take a huge poop. No, I, I do my brushing rinse. Brushing rinse is essentially a hydrogen peroxide and essential oil blend. Uh, you can buy it at Whole Foods or online, pretty much anywhere. It's pretty reasonably priced. Um, but the thing that it does is it kind of kills all of the bacteria that accumulate in your mouth overnight. So, you know, when you wake up with really funky morning breath. That is because you have had all of this bacteria accumulate in your mouth overnight. And it's not just you. We all wake up with very funky morning breath. So you've had this bacteria accumulate in your mouth overnight. And I don't like to swallow that. So I always kind of get grossed out when people, you know, drink a lot of water very first thing without brushing their teeth or eat food or drink coffee. I think it's better to get all of that gross stuff out of your mouth and then to consume whatever you're going to consume in the morning. There's also been a Some people in the wellness world think that those bacteria can go down to your stomach and they can sort of impact your microbiome. You're just kind of like accumulating bad bacteria in different parts of your body. The thinking is still out on that, but I still think it's better. Like, why not get it out of your mouth? Also, this is my secret to white teeth. People ask me all the time, how do you whiten your teeth naturally? And 100% it's the brushing rinse. It's magical. I just do it every single morning. So I brushing rinse, spit it out. And then I brush my teeth and um, come to the kitchen and I drink a really big glass of water. And then I work out. And at this point, I still have not looked at my phone at all. I have a rule for myself that I'm not allowed to look at my phone until after I work out in the morning. And it's just a way to sort of force myself. I need that extra motivation to work out in the morning. I used to say I was going to work out in the morning and then I would lay on my couch. I'd like have my workout clothes on, but I would lay on my couch and scroll through social media and read emails and start replying to emails. And then once you get into the work mode, it's really hard to just sort of turn that off. So I set a rule for myself that I cannot look at my social media and I cannot look at my phone until after I've completed my workout. And it made a huge difference just because it took away that sort of lollygagging time between when I woke up and the workout. And I do work out every single day, which if you had asked me um two years ago if I would ever be a person who worked out every day, I would have literally laughed in your face. I would have just been like, who do you think you are? I was a very late person to the workout game. I ate healthy, I did supplements, I meditated, I did all these things before I worked out. And I do think it was, I don't know, it was like a body thing partially where you know, the, the phrase abs are made in the kitchen, not in the gym or something like that. And like, I had just internalized that the way that I looked and even the way that I felt to a certain extent, it, that working out didn't matter for those as much as the other wellness activities that I did. And then I went through this excruciating period of really, really bad insomnia a few years ago. Um, I didn't sleep for three nights and then I had you know, just that fear around sleeping for quite a long time. And that's around the time that I stopped setting an alarm too, because I found it really hard to fall asleep when I knew I had a set time to wake up in the morning and I could see the, the clock sort of counting down to that time. But during that time, my friends, I was working at Green, So all of my friends were like wellness editors. They were some of the healthiest people ever. And they were like, Liz, you need to work out it will help you sleep so much better. So they dragged me to a yoga class. I was terrible. And I loved it. And uh, I started working out. So it makes such a huge difference in my mental health. I sleep better. I have less anxiety and more energy throughout the day. I know that these are things that everybody knows. And I was just very late to the party. But I find it miraculous. So I force myself to do it every single morning. It honestly hasn't really made a big difference in how I look. So I think the saying is sort of true that most of what you look like comes from what you eat and sort of other lifestyle factors like reducing stress to reduce your cortisol levels, to reduce your belly fat and things like that. But it has made a huge difference in how I feel. And I would trade the 20 or 30 minutes that I spend working out to feel that good for the other 23 and a half hours of my day, any day, I just I, I've i grown to crave it and love it. So I work out, I do a home workout every day. And I did this before uh, I was in self quarantine. So I just find it easier. I think when you go to a studio, which is fun to um, and going to an actual gym is fun too. But when you like lose the 30 minutes or an hour getting there, and then you have the hour class, it just is so much out of your day. And I find that I start to resent working out if it takes up this really huge chunk of my day. So I really like to do home workouts because I just feel like you can, you finish, you're really sweaty, you hop in the shower, you're good to go. So I alternate between a few different types. I love the Rachel's goodies, Rachel DeVos. Um, she does like hit mixed with Weight workouts um and she has a ton of free ones on her Instagram page and I just do those they're really 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 good so I love those um so I'll alternate between those and then I'll do yoga glow which is a yoga website uh, they have thousands and thousands of yoga classes and that one's subscription based I think it's fifteen dollars a month so less than the price of one yoga class in New York City and I love Catherine Butig's classes on there and then uh, Tiffany crook I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing her name wrong, but they both do really fun and dynamic and interesting movement. And they just, the yoga classes make me feel really, really, really good. And yeah, so I'll just alternate those different ones. And sometimes I'll sneak in like a, oh, and then I do one other one. I do dance church on Sunday, So dance church is a donation-based online dance class. They also had it in person, obviously, before we weren't allowed to do anything in person. And I'm sure that will come back in person someday. But it's donation-based. And you go to a website. It's either go.dancechurch.com or dancechurch.go.com. And you just dance for an hour. They give you like a little bit of structure. They'll be like, dance with your head or like dance low, dance with your butt, dance with your left hand. But other than that, it's pretty free form. But you're just really moving and the music is good and the energy is good and the vibe is really good. And it's so incredibly cathartic and it's made me feel really, really, uh, it's just been one of the highlights of my self-quarantine. I found it at the beginning of this period and it's just been really helpful for me to get through. I've also had a really hard time differentiating between weekdays and weekends during this time my job can be done every day. And I also always feel like I'm a little bit behind in my job. I feel like there's always stuff to do that I should be doing. So I've I've basically been working all weekend, every weekend, which isn't ideal for my mental health. I just, I'm just i just like, what else am I supposed to do? We can go on walks in New York, but there's so many people out, especially on the weekends, that it's really hard to social distance, even on a walk. So that's been frustrating. Um, but Dance Church is one of those things that I'm just like, oh, it's Sunday. I get to do dance church. It's one of the highlights and and joys of my weekend. So I finish my workout. I go shower. I wash my hair like every four days. So hopefully it's a day that I don't have to wash my hair in the shower because those are the best days. I'm just like, oh, like if I didn't have hair, my morning routine, my whole life would I feel like I just gained back days of my life. But I shower and then I come to the kitchen and I make a green smoothie or I will drink a leftover green smoothie. So whenever I make a green smoothie, it basically makes like three servings with the size that I make it. I use a whole sort of clamshell of greens. So Zach gets a smoothie, I get a smoothie and then I have one smoothie leftover for the next day. Zach doesn't like the leftover smoothies. I'm not just like trying to deny Zach his second day smoothie. But smoothies maintain, I think it's, it's its either 82 or 86% of their nutrients for 24 hours. And then they maintain close to like 50 or 60% of their nutrients for 48 hours. And you can also freeze smoothies. So you can just freeze them. You can make, I don't know, a month's worth of smoothies, freeze them in their mason jars, and then the night before you want to consume it, transfer it from the freezer to the fridge and then drink it. I don't do that. I have, if you saw my freezer, you would understand why. If you haven't seen my apartment therapy um, house tour, you should go look at it because you can see how ridiculously tiny my fridge and freezer are. Uh, they are smaller than me and I am pretty small, but I'll just make my leftover smoothies so that I can have one morning every other morning where I don't have to make a smoothie. I am, if you haven't heard my green smoothie rant yet, I think that green smoothies are a 100% the Best breakfast that you can have. They take five minutes to make. You uh, will feel really good. You'll feel energized but full. You won't feel that sort of like sluggish, heavy feeling that you feel when you eat more. I don't know, like carb heavy. Like when I had a bagel, I feel like there's a rock in my stomach and I just feel sluggish and tired and not good. And smoothies make me feel the opposite of that. I just feel like my digestion, my digestion is running good and I feel energized and I feel awesome. And they also, you've consumed more vegetables by 10 a.m. than most people will consume in an entire day. So you can pat yourself on the back and you can feel really, really good about that. Um, I just love them. So, big fan of green smoothie in the morning. And then I just kind of dive into my work and go about my day. I don't meditate in the morning. I got into a habit of meditating in the afternoon when I worked at Mind Body Green. We had a meditation room. And again, because I don't drink caffeine, I was trying to fight that. 3 p.m. sluggish, tired feeling that you get after lunch. And so I'd go into the meditation room and I would do my meditation there for 20 minutes, which was so nice, such a luxury. I have friends though who don't have meditation rooms at their office and they will like sneak away to a church that's in the neighborhood or they'll even go to the bathroom and meditate or a storage closet or something like that. So there is a way to sneak in a little meditation at work, even if you don't have the luxury of a meditation room, but that habit just kind of stuck. So here I'll do my meditation at home. I'll do my meditation at around three in the afternoon, which I really like because it just makes me feel completely reset and refreshed for my day. And then as far as evening routine goes, I what do I do in the evening? I feel like we try to shut down our work around maybe seven or eight. It's a little bit on the later side again, because I tend to start a little bit on the later side and also because I'm really bad at stopping myself from working when I feel like that there's work to do. I'll make dinner or Zach will make dinner. And then we've been doing a lot in quarantine. We'll do game nights instead of watching media, like watching Netflix. And that's been really fun for us. It just feels like a little bit of something different. It feels like it activates my brain in a different way. I just find when I'm watching TV, I'm always on my phone too. And I'm never totally engaged in either thing. And then at the end of the time, I feel like my brain is rotting away from my body which isn't a good feeling. So we've been doing game nights and that's been really, really fun. We either play Codenames Duet or Boggle is a huge favorite in this household. Zach keeps winning, which is very annoying. Um, And then we play Lost Cities, which is also a really, really good two-person game. And then Spot It is also a classic. So those are all good two-person games. And then we've been playing a lot of games with friends over the internet which is also really, really fun. There's a site called Jackbox that lets you play a bunch of really fun games together. And then there's um, another site called PlayingCards.io that lets you play like cards against humanity type games together, which is really, really fun. So we've been doing that. And then I water pick in the evenings or I floss. Um, I love my water pick. It essentially just shoots really fast streams of water through your teeth to get rid of the plaque and it makes your teeth feel like you have just been to the dentist and I am obsessed with it. So I water picker floss, brush my teeth, and then I will read myself to sleep every single night. I cannot fall asleep unless I'm reading. I've been like that since I was a little kid. I remember when I was backpacking, I would always look for a little light on the hostel beds and I would, if it had a light, I'd be like, okay, good. I'll be, I'll get a good night's sleep here. And if it didn't have a light, I wouldn't, I just need to have my brain be distracted in some way. And I'll read until I basically actually fall asleep often to the point where Zach needs to take my book from me and turn the light off. And then I go to sleep and I start all over again. So I hope that was helpful. I feel like all the people I interviewed had so many more interesting morning routine and evening routine things. And I'm trying to work on mine, hence the point of the interviews. I really want to incorporate um Kelly Levesque's very highly specific gratitude practice that she talks about. And also the cutting veg talked about doing little cleanup sessions, which I would really like because I would like my house to be cleaner and I am not innately a clean person. So both of those sounded very appealing and I'm working on incorporating them for sure. Okay, next question. Attachment styles. What is yours and what is Zach's? How do you make it work? So if you don't know what attachment styles are, basically there's a theory in psychology that everybody has a different attachment style that they develop when they're, I think when they're quite young, like two two or three years old, and it's based on how you were parented. And then those patterns sort of carry over into your adult relationships later in life. So Zach is securely attached. (laughs) As you guys might guess, he's just dandy. His parents love each other very much. They have a really good, healthy relationship. And I think they had a really good, healthy relationship with Zach when he was growing up, which is wonderful for him. And I am anxiously attached, as you might also guess if you know about attachment styles and me. I have sort of an interesting situation where when I was two years old, my mom was in a a very serious accident and uh, ended up being in the hospital in a coma for almost a year. So at a time where I couldn't Understand anything that anybody was explaining to me. I went from having my mom there with me every day to not being with me at all. And, you know, when I would see her in the hospital, I don't even know if I visit, I'm sure I visit her when she was in a coma, but she obviously wouldn't respond to me in the way that one would expect a mom to. And I think my dad did an incredible time during that period. And I had really good babysitters because he was having to work full time to pay all the medical bills and things like that. So I I do think I felt as loved and as taken care of as one could in the circumstances. But I also think that if you're talking about forming attachment issues during that time, it's certainly hard to have your mother there one day being this caretaker person and then gone essentially for a year with no explanation that your brain at that age can conceive of after that. So. I definitely have had a harder time, I think, in relationships. And I've learned a lot in my relationship with Zach. I think, I think the second half of the question was like, how do you deal with it? And we deal with it by me trying to work on patterns and him being very patient with me. I, I had to learn a lot. of. I, I hadn't had really any long, long-term relationships before Zach. I'd had sort of boyfriends for a few months here and there, but Zach had been in a number of quite long-term multi-year relationships. So I feel like, and then also had, you know, good models growing up. I remember when I first met his parents, I like had never spent a bunch of time with a healthy couple before really. Like I just didn't have that example in my life. My parents ended up getting divorced after the accident sort of as a result of it in some ways. And they didn't have ideal relationships on either of their sides after that. Like my dad got into a very long-term, very unhappy marriage. And then my mom sort of cycled through a period of a, a series of different boyfriends and husbands, but I've had to learn a lot of things. I've had to learn. I'm working on how to say sorry better and how to just love yourself enough to let your partner love you and how to feel safe and comfortable and secure. I think that's the whole thing with attachment styles. It's about feeling secure that when a person leaves you, they will come back to you and that there's nothing you can do that will make a person sort of leave you forever, which again, if you, you know, with my childhood the way it was, I think having to internalize that somebody is not just going to up and leave me one day is is trickier. So, having that confidence and security and comfort in a relationship is definitely something I had to I had to actively learn, but I think I did. And I feel very confident and secure in my relationship with Zach now. So I do think it is possible. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I've tried pretty much every bar on the planet, food editor life, you know. And the reason that Macro is always my go-to is because it's the only one that actually fills me up. I eat them after a hard workout or when I need a snack and I'm sick of cooking because we're now cooking three full meals a day. And it is a lot. For all of May, Go Macro is going above and beyond and donating 10% of their net proceeds from their peanut butter macro bar to Farm Sanctuary. First of all, this is one of the best bars. If you love peanut butter, you are going to be obsessed. There are house-made peanut butter chips that are so addictive. Second, Farm Sanctuary is just an awesome organization to support. As one of the nation's largest animal sanctuaries, Farm Sanctuary has rescued thousands of animals and has cared for them at its sanctuaries in New York and California. And I love that you can help animals by eating delicious snacks. It's a win-win, my absolute dream situation. You can get a whopping 30% off your order plus free shipping by using the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER30. That's Healthier Together, like the name of this podcast, and then the number 30 at gomacro.com. Definitely try the peanut butter, or you can try the new double chocolate peanut butter one, which I am absolutely obsessed with. I also think that the oatmeal chocolate chip is a must try. And of course, Zach, in his quest to consume the most coffee on the planet, loves the mocha one. Again, that is gomacro.com using the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER30. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, next question. Can you eat meat and still have good gut health? And I would say my answer is yes, but I have a few caveats to that. First of all, your diet should be made largely of plants, whether you are plant-based or an omnivore. Plants are singularly the best thing for your microbiome. They feed good bacteria. So as many vegetables, herbs, fruits, just those types of foods that you can eat throughout the day, the better gut health you will have No matter what. And definitely include a lot of prebiotic foods, things like asparagus and leeks and Jerusalem artichokes. Those are going to give you huge results for your gut health. Second, if you do eat meat, it should be largely from grass fed cows and pastured chickens as much as you can afford. It's just you're not eating a ton of grains via the grain based diet that conventionally raised animals are fed. And you're also getting higher levels of omega 3s and vitamin K, and just you're getting more nutrients out of the meat products that you're eating. So I think if you're eating it, having it not just sort of be a dead weight in your diet, and obviously also there's the ethical considerations of factory farming to consider. So if you can all at all afford it, I always encourage people to eat, you know, pasture-raised eggs, pasture-raised chickens, and then look for grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef, things like that. Third, and I think this is a little bit more nuanced And interesting, there is the gut brain connection. So, we talked about this a lot in the Ask the Doctor Anxiety edition, which is if your gut is distressed, it can lead to anxiety. But also, if you have anxiety, that can lead to gut distress. So, a lot of people will get anxiety issues because of blood sugar issues. So, if their blood sugar drops precipitously, they will feel anxious in their body, which will make their brain misattribute the fact that they're anxious. And then they might get an upset stomach because that's a symptom of anxiety for them. So they might actually be having worse gut health by having these blood sugar drops. So some doctors will say that you should add meat into your diet if it's an okay ethical and environmental choice for you personally. I think it's such a personal choice for every single person. Uh, But if that's an okay choice for you, some doctors will say that if you struggle with anxiety or gut health issues, you should mix in a little bit of meat into your diet, just so you can keep your blood sugar super stable throughout the day. So you don't experience those issues along your gut brain access, if that makes sense. That said, there are definitely ways to keep your blood sugar super stable without having to incorporate meat products. That's just sort of an easy way to quickly add in some really good fats and proteins. But number one, most important thing for gut health is diversity of plants, diversity of plants, diversity of plants. And then what you're doing with the other small percentage of your diet, I don't think impacts it as much if you have that diversity of plants element solid. And speaking of diversity, somebody else asked what my favorite non-healthy junk food is, which is one of my favorite topics. A hundred percent fruity pebbles. I love fruity pebbles so much. They are just so delicious. Also, Kit Kat bars are so good. I do eat, I don't, there's nothing that's like off the tables for me to eat. Like I just don't function that way. And I don't think that functioning that way is healthy. I think it's healthier to let yourself eat a bowl of fruity pebbles when you really, really want a bowl of fruity pebbles, and all you can think about is a bowl of fruity pebbles rather than making some facsimile of fruity pebbles that's quote unquote healthy where you're just like this doesn't satisfy this at all like I think there's I always say that I think wellness is about your your mind your body and your soul and if something is genuinely feeding your soul and that means like That's not shoving chips in your face because you've had a hard day and you're watching, you know, sex education on Netflix and you're just like sitting there crying and not feeling good about yourself as you're eating junk food. But if it's going to really make you feel good on a core level to eat fruity pebbles, eat fruity pebbles, you know, you're feeding your soul. And I think that's as important as feeding your body. So I'm a huge fan of that. Also tater tots. I love tater tots, although recently they have been making my stomach hurt when i eat them so i have you know i'm i'm trying to be aware of that um and that's the other thing like i i do think part of intuitive eating which i think is so much harder than people give it credit for is figuring out like really tuning into how you feel after you eat anything so if you like go to eat a mcdonald's sandwich and afterwards you feel so tired and so depressed and your skin feels greasy and your lips feel greasy and you're just like, then like pay attention to that feeling really zero in on it. And I think with time, you'll stop craving the McDonald's sandwich because you'll associate it with feeling really, really crappy. So I've been tuning in to how I feel after I eat junk food. And honestly, after I eat a bowl of Fruity Pebbles with some delicious oat milk from Calafia or something like that. I feel fine, like, you know, probably not as good as after a green smoothie, but I feel pretty darn good. But after I ate tater tots, I've been getting some stomach pain. So I have stopped eating tater tots right now and I'm not thrilled about it. But definitely I would say don't put anything off the table, but really pay attention to what you feel like after you eat anything. Okay. Looking through other questions. Favorite place you've traveled to? I would love to hear more about your travel experiences. Yeah. So travel was a huge part of my life. Basically, the day I graduated from high school, I flew to Europe with all of the money that I'd saved for the last three years. And I backpacked around. I deferred college for a semester and I backpacked around for eight months before I went to starting before I started college. And then throughout my college, I would essentially do one semester on and then I do one semester backpacking around South America or Europe or Northern Africa or something like that. I was able to do this because at the time I wrote a newspaper column. So it was sort of like creating content for myself by taking these trips. And also I traveled bananas cheap. Like my dad came to visit me in Europe. And I'm not like from a wealthy family. Like I didn't go to Europe with my family literally at all growing up because that just wasn't the type of family vacation we did. We did, you know, we'd go to like camp at a lake an hour from our house, which was also wonderful. Although I did not like nature until I was quite a bit older. And I was like, oh, there's like so many bugs and so dirty. And now I'm like, that sounds dreamy. But my dad came to visit me in Europe and he was like, why do you look so skinny? And I was like, "Well, you know, I'm trying to make sure my money lasts, so I've just been eating the roll that they give you at the hostel breakfast and then I'll like take a boiled egg and eat that." Like I'd basically and he's like, "Oh, well, how much money have you spent?" And it'd been 4 months and I'd spent $900, uh, which is not really enough to live and it was not at that time either. So I traveled very cheaply, sometimes too cheaply for my own good. But it was honestly so awesome. I traveled by myself. Largely, my dad would come and visit me. And sometimes my mom would come and visit me too, um, for like a week during a six stint of traveling. But by and large, I was by myself. I stayed in hostels and I didn't really make a plan. I would just sort of go where I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do. And it was it was one of the most magical times in my life. And I'm so glad I did it because it's so much harder to do that type of thing as you get older. And I also think that solo travel is transformative. And I think that anybody who can do that even later in life, like my mom has done solo trips recently and she's in her 60s. I think that that is an incredible thing that you can, it's a gift you can give yourself. It's just so much time with yourself Thinking by yourself, like I think some of the most transformative moments that I had during my trips were when I had like a 24 hour bus ride between, again, traveling very cheaply, um, you know, between Amsterdam and Berlin. And I would just be sitting on the bus by myself. We didn't have smartphones. So that was probably part of it. Uh, we didn't have smartphones or iPads or anything back then. So I might have a book. I might have, um, I think I had an iPod at the time, although don't quote me, but I do remember like listening to music quite a bit or maybe CDs. I'm 33. So I don't know if that I'm like, what was there when I was 18? I do remember I worked at a hostel in Amsterdam for four months, uh, when I was traveling that first stint. And I remember people had Discman and there was the one, this one song I had stuck in my head, the, it's the crash test dummy song. That's like, once there was this girl who, and the chorus is just the guy going like, "Mm, okay, I'm not going to do this to you, but it was stuck in my head for so long. So everybody coming in the hostel, I'd be like, do you have the crash test dummy CD? And then finally one person did. And I listened to it and I was like, ah. The best feeling in the world, which is a feeling that today's youth will never ever have, which is probably better for their sanity. But yeah, the feeling that you get when you're just like on a bus by yourself alone in your thoughts, it's almost like a very cheap, very dinky meditation retreat. And you really get to know yourself in a different way. And I really think, and when you wake up in the morning and you're not with your family or with your partner, with your friends, and you have to say, what do I want to do today? What would make me feel good today? What do I want to eat? Where do I want to walk? What do I want to think about? Who do I want to meet? Who do I want to talk to? Who do I want to spend my time with? I think asking yourself all of those questions is huge to figuring out who you are and really meeting yourself. So highly highly recommend solo travel in terms of the question my favorite place um I've ever traveled to is definitely Syria which is really sad given the state of Syria now basically when I graduated from college my dad as my graduation present uh we went to the Middle East together for a little over a month so we started in Egypt and then we went to Jordan and then we went to Syria And Lebanon. And then we went to Israel at the end because you have to go to Israel at the end because you can't have an Israel uh, passport stamp and go to any of those other countries. Um, And it was literally the fall before Arab Spring. So if we had postponed the trip by six months, we would not have been able to do this trip in the same way ever again, which is crazy to me. But It was so magical. I'm obsessed with Middle Eastern culture. The people are so friendly. Damascus, which is the capital of Syria, it's, um, you don't like drive in the city because it's all these really narrow cobblestone streets. Occasionally a car will come through, but it's like the car is almost scraping the sides of the buildings on either side. And their whole city smells like citrus because there's citrus trees in all the courtyards, like oranges and lemons and limes. And the food is so good. And it just is this like beautiful medieval walled city. And it's separated into four different quarters. And the four quarters feel really, really different. So there's like a Muslim quarter. There's a um, Armenian quarter. There's a Jewish quarter. And there's one other one, Christian. And people will like dress completely differently depending on what quarter you're in. The food will be different. And it's really, really interesting to go, you know, from seeing somebody in a full hijab to then you go to a different quarter and somebody is in like a mini skirt. But the people are just so incredibly nice. You cannot walk down the street without somebody coming out and insisting you come in for tea with them and talking to you about their one grandkid who went to the United States for a week, like two years ago or something like that. It's just it's the the culture is amazing. The food is amazing. The city is the most beautiful city I'd ever been to. And then Aleppo, which is up north, they have the one of the oldest markets in the world, I believe, one of the oldest running markets. And it was just so, I don't know, this like piles of spices everywhere and beautiful textiles. And again, just like the nicest, loveliest people. It, it's a level of history that's almost hard to comprehend. It's history that... Isn't, you know, in the US we get history that's a few hundred years old, and then we get the indigenous history that goes back further than that, obviously, but is often harder to just sort of encounter as you're walking around New York like city. And then in Europe, you obviously get a little bit later history. You get you start to get buildings that are a thousand years old, and you're like, oh my gosh, this building's a thousand years old. But then in Syria, you would go to like the dead cities and they're from you know, two or 3000 years ago, it's just such a different level. And they had such evolved, complicated civilizations, even back then. And to, it just makes you feel like a, a little blip on the great long march of history, which is a very comforting feeling, at least for me, that everything sort of happened before everything will happen again, that it's all cyclical. Um, I really liked it. And it was a really lovely trip with my dad as well. Um, And yeah, it's just really magical. And it's been obviously the worst part of the situation in Syria isn't that, you know, there can't be tourism anymore. Uh, There's so much more devastating stuff going on there. But I do. It is like sad that I can't bring Zach there and share that place with him maybe in my lifetime. And that I it just and I often think about all of the people that we met on that trip. And it's yeah, it's sad. But Syria was super magical. The rest of the Middle East is super magical too. I love Morocco. I love Egypt. Egypt, I mean, talk about like old history and also their market there. I think it's Khan al-Khalili uh, in Cairo is one of those places that you can just get lost for days. It's fascinating and super cool. And there's a island in the middle of the Nile um, where you can, it's called, I think, Banana Island. It's called something else, but they call it colloquially Banana Island and you can just go and pick bananas and eat them all (laughs) which I found really charming and fun it's like oh you can take a boat to an island and have all you can eat bananas so I thought that was really fun I also love Brazil but in terms of just a country I think the the culture is incredible and in terms of like sheer beauty it is so gorgeous I stayed in this place called Florianopolis which it's like just off the coast of Sao Paulo. It's kind of part island, I think. This was a very long time ago, so I might be misremembering. But there was just flat. It was so verdant and lush and beautiful. And the ocean is so gorgeous. And it's just, it's such a mix of like mountainous jungle meets ocean. And I'm very into that look generally. But I also feel like Brazil really did me wrong. Um, I got mugged there a few times i uh had my seizure there which was not ideal and which i talk about if you're like what seizure that was a huge part of my anxiety journey i talk about it in my instagram feed so go to the anxiety highlight if you want that entire story it's just like a hard play like i feel like brazil did not like me but i liked brazil and then last two are iceland i think just simply one of the most beautiful places in the world i did not like reykjavik unpopular opinion um but i love the countryside so i would say if you go to iceland get out of reykjavik go to the countryside do all the hikes find the little tiny hot springs that nobody else goes to and go to those instead of the blue lagoon or the bigger ones um and then also banff and jasper which is where zach and i got engaged um i think we told our our engagement story in the couples Did we tell engage- yeah we did um so If you want to hear our engagement story, go to the Couples Q&A podcast, which was a few podcasts ago and listen to that. But definitely Banff and Jasper, they have these like lakes that are bright blue and stunningly gorgeous. So I highly recommend. What brand of bitters do I use for my mocktails? I think I talked about in one episode that I like to make sort of my own healthy sodas by mixing flavored bitters and sparkling water. And I drink alcohol, but I will do this just when I want something special to drink, when I want something that feels like a, it feels more like a LaCroix type vibe. Um, But I use Scrappies, which they have like, they're organic, I believe. And they have like lavender and orange and cardamom and those types of flavors. And then I also use Dram Apothecary and they have sort of more I don't know, like woodsy fun. They have like a Palo Santo flavor and a sage flavor. And so those ones are really, really good too. So I highly recommend you just literally take some sparkling water and put a few drops of bitters in it and it tastes delightful. Okay. I'm going through the questions. Any book recommendations on the topic of anxiety? Yes, for sure. When panic attacks by David Burns, my dad is a psychologist and this is, and he works with like, pretty severely mentally ill people by and large. And When Panic Attacks by David Burns is one of the number one books that he actually will buy it and give it to his clients because a lot of his clients can't necessarily afford to buy books. Um, He works with a lot of Medicare, Medicaid clients. But it's just the go-to in psychology in the psychology world, particularly in CBT for Anxiety, and I've done it myself. It's almost more of a workbook, and it really, really, really helps. And then, when I was super anxious, like when I was completely agoraphobic and just at my absolute worst, I read "The Power of Now" by Eckhart Tolle and I read it probably 12 times. <laughs> um, and I just I almost clung to it like a life a life vest It made a really, really big difference in my life at the time. It just made me feel safe and comforted and whole. And I think a huge part of the, the lesson in that book is that you don't know what the future is. None of us do. And all of anxiety is about future projecting and projecting a future just that exists only in your head. And so I think really trying to ground yourself into this present moment was critical for me. And I think the power of now is a really great, it's a really great book for that. Okay. Did you try any diets in the past that you realized don't work like IF, which is intermittent fasting? So I actually like intermittent fasting. I don't think of it as a diet. I think of it as just like a tiny tweak that you can make in your day while still doing everything else. So Kelly Levesque talks about the benefit of fasted workouts in the morning. It's part two of the morning and evening routine episode. And I've been doing fasted workouts. I was doing them a little bit before I talked to her, but I've been doing them pretty much religiously since then, just because it's such a small thing you can do that has a huge impact on your overall health. So I'll do an overnight intermittent fast. I'll try to have like 12 to 13 hours between my last meal and my first meal, which we talk about more in the gut health episode is sort of the ideal amount of time. You really just wanna have some time in your body where you're, where you're not spending the incredible amount of energy that it takes to digest your food and you can free up essentially your body's energy to do other things. And I think particularly while you sleep, it's nice to do that um, so that your brain can just do all of its other repair work that you want your brain to do. So I do an overnight fast and then I do a fasted workout. But in terms of other diets, um, I had to try a lot of different diets back when I was working at, in journalism full-time. Just so I could write about them. So I would like try the keto diet and I would try paleo or vegan or stuff like that. Or even like trendier, you know, weird ones with strange fasts and fiber and all of that kind of stuff. Weird detox diets. I did a detox diet that's really popular with celebrities that I shan't name. And I have truly never been hungrier in my entire life. Like I woke up every day hungry and then I would grumpily eat the tiny amount of food that they gave me. And then I would just go through my day being ravenous. And I was like, if this is what it takes to be a celebrity, then I don't want it. But none of them are good. Like, spoiler alert, I don't recommend diets unless you have a specific reason for doing a diet. Like, I think if you are epileptic, definitely experiment with a ketogenic diet. That is sort of what it was designed to be therapeutic for. If you are celiac, obviously be gluten free. But as we talk about way more in the gut health episode that's coming up next week, the limiting foods from your diet is only going to hurt your overall health and your gut health and more importantly, your mental health. So I'm a huge fan of crowding in or crowding out rather than eliminating. So if you fill your plate and fill your day with really nourishing, good for you foods, largely vegetables, I talk about this in my cookbook. I I do think it's interesting also that most of the diets the really healthy ones, at least like the more Mediterranean diet or paleo or vegan, the ones that aren't too extreme, they all agree that 80% of your diet should be vegetables. And then they disagree on what the other 20% should be. So I try to really just focus on that 80% vegetable portion. So I have my smoothie in the morning. If I have any meal, I'm just always thinking to myself, how can I put more vegetables in this? How can I put more vegetables in this? And when you fill up on vegetables, which have a ton of fiber and are actually quite filling, you don't have room to eat the other stuff and you won't want to because your taste buds will actually change as your microbiome adjusts to all that fiber. So I don't think that limiting your food is at all a good idea. I just think eating, if you if you literally just went through every day thinking, how can I eat as many vegetables as possible today? you would have an incredible state of health and you wouldn't have to worry about eliminating literally anything. So I'm a big proponent of that. Okay, this is getting long. So I'm just gonna do a few more kind of quickish ones. Why did you leave MBG? I left MBG to do my book tour and launch Healthier Together into the world. I did a huge book tour all around the country for that. And um, I was still writing for MBG at the time. I became an editor at large. I went, if, if you're not familiar with my background, I was the food director, which means I headed up all of the food content for video and written on the site for MindBodyGreen um, for a number of years. And then I became an editor at large, which just means that I contributed articles to Mind Body Green while I was on book tour so that I could go on book tour and be where I needed to be for that. And then now I don't write for them and an editor at large capacity. I still write for them and a number of different sites, but just sort of more casually as I make You know this podcast and my brand more of my full-time job. Novel recommendations. Well, I recommend that everybody join LM Book Club. We are reading The Herd by Andy Bartz. You just buy the book wherever or check it out from your local library um, and then read it. And then we'll do a live where we talk about it on Instagram. And it's super fun. Book clubs are always just like they spark the best conversation. So I highly recommend that. That's The Herd by Andy Bartz. I already finished it. It is So good. Um, It's just like a really fun thriller, but it's about feminism and the place of women in the world. So there'll be a lot to talk about, but it's the kind of like girl on the train type book that really hooks you and keeps you reading, which I think is really nice. as a distraction during these times. Other favorite books. um, God, I have so many favorite books, but The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, all-time favorite. I read it like seven times. Homegoing by Yaya Gyasi is an incredible book. I love it. American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld is sort of a sneaky one. It's about Barbara Bush, but it's a fictionalized account of her life. And it's one of the ones that every writer I know loves it, but they're sort of embarrassed to like it because it it feels like chick lit, but it's written like literary fiction. It's really well written, but it's just like really readable and it's about a woman and her life. But highly recommend American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. All of the Taylor Jenkins Reads books. So uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is so good. It's about 1940s, 50s, like glamorous Hollywood. It's so good. Um, And then she also wrote Daisy, Daisy Jones. I don't It's just look for Taylor Jenkins Reads. But um, it's about like the 70s rock and roll scene. And it's also super, super good. I'm trying to think if there's... Those are... I would start with those. Those are books that I have read that I've adored recently and definitely come join book club. All right. Let's cap it there for today. I hope that you liked this little Q&A episode. If you did, definitely let me know on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody. You can tag me. We can continue the conversation over there. Um, But yeah, let me know because I've never done a little solo Q&A episode before. And if you like it, I can do more. And if you don't like it, I cannot do more. And thank you for listening. And I hope you guys are all staying well, whatever the state of your current area is. And I hope that you're safe and your loved ones are safe. And I hope that you, you know, know that I'm sending you all the positive vibes. And I'm so grateful to have you here as part of my podcast family. And for the people who are part of the Instagram family, I love you as well. Have a great one, guys. Bye. I have a product that is going to change your life. I've recommended this to so many people and they're all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask and it feels like heaven, and you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works, and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the Black Clay Facial Soap and the Purely Simple Face Cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com.